0: Welcome to Scaling Alberta Businesses, Innovate MRU's podcast that focuses on the startup and scale-up stories of Alberta-born companies. I'm Ray DePaul, the director of the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Mount Royal University. On this episode, I continue my conversation with Scott Gravel, the co-founder of Adabotics. In the last episode, we heard the methodical approach Scott took before he was convinced he had to quit his day job and start Atabotics. Let's find out what happened and why they are one of the hottest tech companies in Canada. But how did that feel like when you get this validation from some, an investor?
1: Um, well, no offense against the investor. He's a great guy He's has become a great dear friend. Yeah. Awesome guy, incredibly intelligent. He gave me a check on his way to a squash game, and all he ever said was good luck. <laughs> and then I didn't hear from him for a very long time. It came out of a very high-risk part of uh, a family trust investment, um, small family office here in Calgary, oil and gas. Yeah. And um, it was like, yeah, sure, what the hell? Uh, how did it feel? Yeah. Um, it felt like now I had a lot to prove and a lot to do with a little in a very short period of time. $300,000 does not last very long, mm-hmm. not when you actually have staff and paying rent and, and buying parts to build robots. Yeah. Six months later, we raised money again. Now we raised 500,000 U.S at a five million dollar valuation. Hmm. What did you prove with the 300,000 that let you? Um, we had started bringing in global automation integration companies and thinking that that was going to be our channel partner to sales, okay. Because who the hell was going to buy anything from us? We also thought that those companies would be the ones ideally suited to build the technology. so it was a better PowerPoint animation. I saw that animation. A a very, yeah, you did, actually. We got a better one after what you saw. Um, A better PowerPoint deck, an actual 3D animation done by a a 3D animator, and we had some moving parts and a a really good CAD model. 1,800 square feet, feet, team of five. They all came in and validated and encouraged, offered to invest, in not very attractive terms, but basically said that, you know, we could be your, we're your channel to market, but we want a market exclusive if it works, when it works. Our second investment, the 500000 actually came from a North American warehouse integration automation company. Hmm. We were hoping that they'd put $50,000 in the round as a market validation, and they took the whole round. Our second investment, six months later, came after we'd actually signed a pilot. We convinced, through a, a random introduction, a Calgary company, North America-wide food service company, give it a try go the, into that a bit like that you're, yeah you're, you're, well
0: you're brushing over something that most listeners no, don't it's, get a chance first
1: to. first we thought we were calm we were going to be we we're going to be amazon solution for the future you know and uh we got introduced to a food service company thinking uh oh, not really our market we'll go meet the guys we we're told they were really nice and they in fact are great 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 people would be great supporters of ours they had a new distribution warehouse out in balzac and had some automation in it and uh we started talking now Their business is caseload. They send boxes of food to restaurants. That's what they do. But they also supply restaurants with spatulas, wooden spoons, cake decorating nozzles, hair nets, bowls, all the Mm -hmm. things that support kitchen operations. Each picking small items wasn't the same level of efficiency than loading cases onto a pallet. So they were looking for a solution that they could try for picking small each items, which ends up being just like e-commerce. Their now president, who at the time was their head of operations, said, we had a little bit of extra money, some room in the garage, so we decided to buy a dirt bike. Hmm. That's the way they looked at this project originally. It allowed us then to go raise additional funding. We started installing that pilot system in January of last year. So we did a little bit of revenue in 2017, started installing that solution at uh, the beginning of 2018. And we'd also been doing a bunch of outreach in the industry at that point. Starting to get into like a retail industry leaders association conferences on emerging technology, talking to people trade shows, of course all the automation mm-hmm. integrators. More storytelling. More storytelling, lots of storytelling. And then we got introduced to our second customer that came up and saw the racking being installed in Balzac and saw one or maybe two robots I think it was just one robot we had at that point, the first one, moving around in a little test structure in our little 1,800-square-foot shop, and that led to a contract with them. So we were lucky enough to tell, sell two solutions off of the concept, and we've now sold six solutions. Our, our project with the food service company is daily in production, 24 hours a day, not without its hiccups. We're still hardening the technology because mm-hmm. we're still a young company. We just had our third birthday on Friday. We're also now commissioning North America's largest robotics-based goods-to-man solution for a luxury desp- department store chain down in the U.S. It's 194,000 totes, 31,000 square feet. We're quoting systems that are 300,000 square feet. So, so
0: why do these companies bet... Like, these are bets. They're making big bets bets on you. What what is driving that bet for them?
1: It was summed up by the head of operations of the department store chain. The company will go out of business if it keeps doing things the same. Because consumer behavior has changed so dramatically that the supply chains designed to support bricks and mortar stores do not support consumer behavior. It is very, very, very expensive to do e-commerce. The risk in trying something unproven is a lesser risk than not doing anything.
0: So, ironically, that's probably the process you went through in your head—that your head when you decided to make this leap. Right? The
1: risk of not doing anything is greater than the risk of Absolutely. doing something. Absolutely, they made a they made a big bet on us—an unconventionally large bet on us. Mm-hmm. When I did all the research, I had, you know, figured out in my head what the whole step and order of operations was to bring this technology to market. Pilot one, pilot two, three, four years, lots of venture funding, da 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 da, da. Um, That would be normal. Uh, that wasn't our path. Like I said, every book about startups, none of them say it would happen like this. In our second year of operations, full year of operations, we booked so much business that it kind of shook the industry. And like some people our customers were either seen as geniuses or idiots, fully dependent on what your your risk tolerance right. is. They have been incredible partners of ours, and our entire company is motivated to make sure that their investment in us uh, delivers them exactly what we said it would and, and hopefully more sooner. The market is changing faster than we can even evolve as a company, and those constraints that were a problem three years ago are now becoming incredibly painful to traditional bricks-and-mortar retailers mm-hmm. that are trying to compete in a world of modern commerce. So our customers, in some ways, for you know early adopters, forward thinkers, um, want to make sure that they have first-mover advantage, committed to that, but they're also a canary in the coal mine. Early on I said the best idea, the best technology isn't a business unless it solves a problem. There is a massive problem The problem is that we as consumers now have been given so much selection, so much choice, so many options for how to receive goods. Go to a store, buy online, pick up in a store, try on in a store, get delivered online like the Bonobos model, Mm -hmm. pure buy online with zero risk because it's free returns, free shipping. These are not inexpensive things. And they make traditional supply chains taxed to a point where they cannot deliver on this. So it ends up being very, very, very expensive. Uh, I just did a TED Talk, actually, about cardboard boxes. FedEx ships 14 million packages a day. One carrier, one day. 8.6 million of those by air cargo. You used to drive to a store. Let's use T-shirts as an example. 30, 32, 36 t-shirts come in a box. The warehouse for the store would deliver that box to the store. And they would put so many on the floor, keep so many in the back room. You would drive to the store. You would pick out your t-shirt. You'd take it to the cashier. They'd put it in a bag. You'd carry it home. You provided the, the, the picking labor, the transportation labor, and there was no need to put it in a cardboard box with a bunch of packing peanuts or some other thing. Now you expect to be able to go buy that T-shirt online. You might order three of them because you're not sure how it might fit. You know you can return two for nothing. Someone's going to have to go get paid to walk the aisles of a warehouse, get that T-shirt, get it into a box, get a shipping label on it. And that warehouse isn't in your community. It might be one of six warehouses in North America, but you want next day shipping. So they're going to have to put that box on a plane, overnight it, drive it to you and you expect to pay less than you pay for it in the store. That's modern commerce. So customer behavior has thrown traditional retailers and traditional supply chains in the deep end of the pool. Wall Street has thrown handcuffs on them. And what I mean by that, this is about identifying the problem. Right. You gotta go deep into the problem. The problem is, is they still have no faith in bricks and mortar because of companies like Amazon. Amazon has been able to grow out one of the most valuable companies in the world, convincing Wall Street that they've never had to make a profit, that just growth is the metric. And these bricks-and-mortar retailers are working with legacy equipment, didn't get to build out a new optimized supply chain off of venture and debt. Also, Amazon is a technology company, so they trade at much, much higher multiples than bricks-and-mortar retailers. So the cost of capital to a bricks-and-mortar retailer is significant compared to an t- emerging technology company. Wall Street still wants to see quarterly earnings and margins. And as soon as you some of that slips a little bit, they can cut the value of your company in half or down to the point that your company just disappears. Radio Shack. Right. Sears. Yep. Toys R Us. You look at the stock market for bricks-and-mortar retailers, like Berkshire Hathaway, you know, Oracle of Omaha, pulled hell of his investment out of Walmart. This shakes entire industries. So, how do these bricks and mortar retailers compete in a new world of modern commerce when the high cost of capital, Wall Street won't let them invest capex to reinvent themselves without punishing them heavily on their stock price, and they have to have they have a lot of technical debt and 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 real estate assets that don't serve modern commerce. That's the problem. Right. And you saw that early, or you have this is. Evolved. The problem I saw early is that traditional automation design for caseload distribution seasonally to bricks and mortar stores didn't support each picking items, which is modern commerce. Right. Yep. So our product, thankfully, has grown in scope to address more and more of the problem. Right. Very good problem to have, yep. versus realizing you can't address as, as much of a problem. And now the story has changed a little bit. The scope has changed a little bit. We We see the opportunity to, I guess it was described by one of our new executive candidates, we have the opportunity to be a white knight. Now, I don't want to preach from some high horse that we're saving the world, but an entire industry is looking for a solution to keep it from going out of business, and we are an option for that. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about fear now? I'm not just trying to sell a piece of technology into a warehouse anymore. Right. I'm trying to create the tools that are needed so one or two companies don't run away with retail. And um, that's a mouthful. And it still scares the hell out of me. But I continue to research. I continue to validate. I continue to talk and share, try to surround myself with people smarter than me, more experienced than me, but make sure that everyone I work with shares the same vision and it has the same passion for the problem. And that has led in three years to some of the most intense and funnest times I've ever had in my entire life. And keep in mind, I used to fly hang gliders and race longboards. <laughs> now now I'm a professional storyteller. It's been a fascinating journey, but it feels like we're still right at the beginning of it. And you chose changing gears a little
0: bit. You you chose to do this and continue to choose to do this. and. Calgary. Yeah. W- what do you say to the people that that I'm sure have told you all along that you can't build this company in Calgary?
1: My mantra is happiness and success is the greatest revenge. Can't spend your life being upset at people that don't believe in you. There's, that's a wasted amount of effort and energy. So Calgary. I'm a divorced father in a co-parenting relationship. I love this city. I've lived lots of places in Canada, and this is by far, I think, one of the best places in the world to live. I've had a chance to travel. And that's a lot considering I grew up in Edmonton, saying Calgary is one of the best places in the world. <laughs> um, so take that however you want. Um, I, did a, I did a talk for Calgary Economic Development's report on the community. Some sound bites they grabbed that I'm, I'm happy to repurpose here. Calgary's energy was always thought was in the ground. Um, oil and gas-centric economy. Calgary's energy is in its people. They've just been desperately looking for something else to do Hmm. other than oil and gas. If you believe the propaganda that was published for, you know, our application for HQ2 for Amazon, highest number of engineers per capita in North America, highest educated workforce per capita in North America, highest number of entrepreneurs per capita in North America, highest number of head offices per capita in North America. That's a pretty good pool to pull from. Hmm. Now, I never, ever could have started this company in a strong energy economy because who's going to leave the golden handcuffs of the oil and gas industry to come take a chance building robots for warehouses. Hmm. So timing meant that we could attract some of the most talented engineers and thinkers that I've ever had the honor of working with um, because they were looking for something else to do. And uh, the team that we have built at Autobotics is an honor to go to work and work with them every day because they are the smartest group of people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And Calgary has that talent. Now, the venture capital community in Calgary to invest in a startup. This idea, if I was in the Silicon Valley or out in Boston, almost put a zero at the end of all the valuations I got and funding that I got to start this business. The hardest part about starting this in Calgary was that the ecosystem doesn't exist to support this type of business here they all want it to but in some ways i'm proud to say that antibiotics grew outside of any tech startup ecosystem that exists in calgary we weren't in an accelerator we weren't part of any program we did receive some early government funding from the federal government and then the province for IP protection and, and stuff like that, under a bunch of Canadian government programs. That's probably what made the biggest difference. Hmm. Being a technology company in Canada, because the ecosystem doesn't exist like other places in the world. Um, we talk about the, the you know the technical um, and professional advice and the venture capital um, community. Um, the government has stepped in to make sure that the IP can stay in Canada. And I can't thank those organizations and the Canadian taxpayers that believed enough in this company to have the jobs created here, have the IP created here, to have the manufacturing and, 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 and export tax base still created here. Grants are kind of a weird one because although we've seen some success, people wonder why the government wants to give us money. And they've got to understand the best place to set up manufacturing in North America for antibiotics was Nevada. Mm -hmm. The best place to build a company around technology and robotics is Boston, which means that the idea and the IP leaves the country, the manufacturing revenue tax base leaves the country, and Canadians with great ideas don't stay in Canada. And there's a long list of very very successful tech entrepreneurs from Canada that found their success south of the border. Yep. The payback to the country, the province, the city becomes very obvious when you start thinking about things that way. The only motivation that and that and the viability of building building a tech company here at this time was with the support of the government because the rest of that private sector infrastructure doesn't exist to support it. Um, Very, very thankful that we had the support of those agencies and we spent the time looking for that help and support. Um, Some of it's grant, uh, no interest loans, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, Because trying to raise that capital here would have meant the company either would have run out of money or would have been diluted down so much because of risk tolerance of local investors that it almost becomes unviable. Mm -hmm. So Calgary wasn't easy, but this is my home. We have a huge resource in its people. It's lacking uh, a mature tech ecosystem, but that's changing every day, Mm -hmm. and it's getting better every day. And I'm happy to start participating and giving back in any way that I can. And, I mean, you carry the load of building a
0: company, um, do you feel like you're carrying the load of building a, like there, we, we talk a lot about bringing in an anchor tenant here, and maybe that'll spur an industry. And um, do you feel that, that this could be the start of a logistics supply chain robotics?
1: I feel a massive burden of responsibility to benefit everybody that took a chance and invested in me, whether that be the city of Calgary, Mm -hmm. whether that be our shipper and receiver, whether that be our very first employees, whether that be the venture capital community that has supported us locally Mm -hmm. and now out of the US, whether that be our customers that took a risk on us early. Mm -hmm. The burden I have is to ensure that I do absolutely everything I can to make the best decisions so that faith and risk that they put in into me and this company gets repaid dramatically. And um, it's not lost on me. I have been entrusted with this opportunity, and it's up to me me to make sure that I'm making all the best decisions I can to do the best with it you hear so many stories of people that go out and just raise a bunch of venture capital and then start living like rock stars. And it's, well, they should be ashamed because they've taken trust and faith and, and, and hard worked for resources, whether that be education or financial time, um, and and squandered it. And I want to be known ultimately for being able to achieve success for everybody that believes in, in this crazy project.
0: It's amazing. No, we're, we're, I don't want to say we're counting on you. We're hopeful. We are, this is uh, a- <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, this is a bright light. I uh, um.
1: <laughs> None of it is lost on me, Ray. None of it is lost on me. And um, I take my job now so incredibly seriously. We've seen some success and acclaim, but we're just getting started. Oh, yeah. Just getting started. Yeah. Nothing is done, nothing is finished, nothing is sure. This is all about can we continue to do what we've been doing, which is do a lot in a short period of time mm-hmm. with a little to build opportunity for everybody yeah. involved.
0: And you correct me if I'm wrong. You have U.S. customers. You have some small U.S. offices, field services. Yeah, no,
1: we're setting up. We're setting up a U.S. headquarters in in uh, uh Great Los Angeles right now. Starting to look for office space in the Valley more San Jose side of things. We are an international company. Mm. We've been quoting projects in Europe and Asia. Ah. This is not a North American problem. Okay, This is a global problem. And we believe we can be a global company with a global solution. What um, do you
0: foresee having to change to be to put global in front of the...
1: <laughs> people. Companies are successful because of great people. Mm. Representation in these markets, the ability to have great client relations Some of this is hard to support from Calgary. Mm -hmm. So this is about now, the phase of the company we're in is certainly about commercializing and hardening the technology and continuing with the R&D work. Um, We just raised some capital to do that. But also building out uh, a leadership team of a global, multinational, knock on wood, fingers crossed, multi-billion dollar organization. Mm -hmm. The phase of the company is changing a little bit. When we start to think about global, so we have the best in Calgary, and now we're going to start looking for the best in the world. There's a lot of people
0: that probably would have found a way to license this technology to somebody and cash out, or sure. or be happy with the the U.S. market until you know ten years from now. Uh, wh- sure. What, wh- wh- where does the the bold vision?
1: <clears throat> come from so this is a, a weird lesson I word learned from a very short-lived low-budget canadian reality tv show <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember his name of the gentleman that hosts canada's worst driver was uh-huh. a tv personality in newfoundland and a reality concept tv show called tall ship chronicles came out where they were going to sail a tall ship around the world over 18 months and they were looking for a host And he was given like a week to decide that he wanted to leave Canada and sail around the world for 18 months, (laughs) making a low budget reality TV show. He went to, you know, a mentor of his, you know, you know, old timer that he really respected and said, this sounds like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And the old timer corrected him and said, it's not (laughs) because he said that the old timer had lived a lifetime and never had this opportunity. (laughs) Lying on my deathbed. What do I wish I would have done? cashed out early, I could cash out right now and I could be very comfortable for the rest of my life. So for me, it's not about money. What meaningful thing could I do in the world when you have the opportunity to solve a problem and make a dent? If you have that opportunity that most people will never have. Now I don't deserve this opportunity. It's just been presented to me. And most people never get presented with the opportunities to make a difference. Given the opportunity to make a difference, what am I going to do with it? So my motivation is to see what I can do with it. If my motivation was to make a lot of money, that would be different. Money isn't a huge motivator for me, and, and this isn't some kind of righteous testament. Eleven years ago, to feed myself and my daughter, I had to go to the food bank. I've been so close to homeless for probably a solid five, six years of my life, Mm -hmm. living under the stress of that. I can't remember how many times they shut off my utilities. had my car repossessed three times. This wasn't without struggle. Um, When you talk about being afraid, I had lots to be afraid of. I have a different perspective on money. Because like I said, Mm -hmm. on your deathbed, no one wishes they had more money. You wish you tried. Mm-hmm. All the things that you wish you would have tried. You wished you were a better friend, better partner. This is an opportunity for me to do all of those things that I want to lie on my deathbed looking back going, okay. Even if I fail, I would rather fail knowing I tried than wonder what if. <laughs> so will I do this forever? I will do this for as long as I'm bringing value and ideas to the organization. I have no desire to manage a steady state manufacturing company. There's better people at that that can do a way better job than me. But I do wanna see how can I, I can align some very, very smart people to work collectively to solve a big problem. And the problem isn't just retailers, poor retailers. The problem is the consumer, the environment. When I say FedEx move is 8.6 8. million packages by air every day, it doesn't have to be that way. When you think about those 30 t-shirts that used to come to a store in one box and are now being put in 30 new boxes to get to you, that's a problem. And transportation costs, the carbon footprint of transportation. The human experience of working in modern commerce and the environmental impact of modern commerce packaging are all things I believe we can make a dramatic change on. And given that opportunity, when so few people ever get that opportunity, I not only owe it to myself and all the people that believe in me to try, I believe I owe it to everyone that never gets an opportunity like this to see what I can do with it Mm -hmm. and what our team can do with it. Because the special part isn't the idea. It's the opportunity. I could ask you dozens of questions,
0: but I think we should end there. That's that's amazing. Um, well, the it, it's been uh, our we've had a small journey ourselves with uh, me and you. And uh, I remember the times it was frustrating for you early, mm-hmm. um, and couldn't be happier that you found people who believed in you, with their money and their time. And we're sitting here, just closed twenty five million dollars. And I and uh, I wish you all the luck to building this thing and changing and solving all those problems and continue to solve them. Scott and his team at Adabotics are evidence that you can scale a global company right here in Alberta. Join us next time to hear another inspiring Alberta-born story. This episode was produced by Joanne Horwood and Ben Goodman, and the music provided by Broke for Free. I'm Ray DePaul. Thanks for listening.